From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. In the late 19th century, Lulu Hurst transfixed audiences as the Georgia Wonder. An electrical storm supposedly gave the teenager supernatural powers to catapult grown men from chairs. She performed on stages from Cedartown, Georgia, to the East Coast and Midwest. Lulu appeared in front of members of Congress. Her powers were tested by government scientists and Alexander Graham Bell. The faculty at Mercer and the Medical College of Georgia, all baffled by the mysterious force of the so-called electric maid. Then, after two years of captivating audiences, she quit and later wrote a book saying it was all deflection and physics. Atlanta-based author Jessica Handler's novel The Magnetic Girl gives Lulu's run a fictional turn and a story illustrating America's historic attraction to cons, bamboozlers, and magical thinking. Jessica will be at the AJC Decatur Book Festival on Sunday the 1st. I spoke with her when the book first came out and asked when she learned about Lulu Hurst. Um, I first met Lulu Hurst about a decade ago, my mother and I were fascinated by the idea of stories of women and girls who were known or believed to be exceptional, physically, culturally, intellectually. And randomly, just out of the blue, my mother emailed me a digital clipping from a magazine called Cassiers that was called uh, The Feats of the Magnetic Girl Explained. And I just fell in love with Lulu. And my mother sent it to me sort of as a, a wow, check this out kind of thing. And I just fell in love with her. Well, you wrote her in the first-person voice of this very aware but awkward 14-year-old Georgia mm-hmm. girl mm-hmm. who – some beautiful lines in here. She wanted to be elsewhere. She had a wanderlust. But she was bound by her family's diminished circumstances, certainly, and by her younger brother, Leo. H- how did you – who was also fictional, right? Yes, yes. How did you create this inner life for this girl? There are – Many versions of the book. I worked on this book for a number of years and tried it different ways. And the first-person point of view worked for me very much because I was a teenage girl. You were a teenage girl. And teenagers, regardless of gender, I think if they are smart and sensitive people, it's very hard to figure out what the world is doing to you and how you feel. So the place you go is inside, inside your mind, inside your heart, inside your fears. That's where you live. And inside of her mind, she had powers to captivate. She did. She did. She stopped a wild fox in its tracks, she thinks, by looking straight into its eyes. And she was abetted by a book, The Truth of Mesmeric Influence by Mrs. Henrietta Wolf, which you you made up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So who were were the mesmerists? What did they do? Well, mesmerism is an idea that had its beginnings, I think, in the... 1700s, there was a scientist named Anton Mesmer, uh, who was a German physician who pretty much started the idea, and he called it animal magnetism, uh, because we are animals, uh, and we are magnetically attracted to one another emotionally in various ways. So this kind of is a predate, uh, it kind of predates hypnotism Mm -hmm. as we know it. Um, The idea behind animal magnetism loosely is that we all have fluids in our bodies, uh, which we do, uh, that balance our health and well-being. And it's magnetic force, magnetic fields that pulls them in this direction or that direction. So if they are disrupted in some way, perhaps you are ill, perhaps you are off balance. So he created a variety of treatments um, that ostensibly helped people. And this is something that her father picked up on. You know, he 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 schools Lula in stage presence and distraction, basically the art of the con. Yeah, yeah. 
and tells audiences that she gained her freakish power in an electrical storm. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is at a time when electricity was new and, and frightening. You know, people thought, what's going to happen with this dangerous stuff to our bodies? So why is this time of growing science so richly populated also with supernatural with Supernatural. Belief. Mesmerism eventually in the 19th century kind of mixed up with electricity. Because if you think about electricity, you can't see it. Um, so what is it? And if electricity in practice was new, so in rural America in the um, mid to late 19th century and really into the 20s, 30s, 40s in the 20th century, people didn't always have electricity. Certainly the big cities started to have it. But what is it? Is it fire? Is it in your body? Is it spirits? People didn't know. So the idea is that Lulu... Um, put a pin uh, in and out of a mattress by her cousin's ear during a lightning storm. And now whenever there's a lightning storm, I sort of look at it and go, I wonder if I could do that. <laughs> and she timed it to where the popping of the pin worked with the popping of the lightning. And her cousin, and I, I want to stress that in her autobiography, she does dedicate that book to her beloved family. Uh, but her cousin kind of said, oh, you've got the power of electricity in your fingers. And my sense is that Lulu went, okay, sure. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's part of the thing. You know, the mind of a 14-year-old girl, um, you want to be magic, right? You want to change your circumstances, especially yeah. if you're growing up in a little town and yeah. you want it to be different. So there's this kind of belief in her. Well, that's what's interesting about the book. You never quite tell us if her if her powers are real or just in her head. Yeah, I think that the way I have her in the story is she's not entirely sure. Mm. And without giving away the story, I think that she comes to some kind of understanding about it, or at least a place to put this idea in her head. Um, but she's not entirely sure of it. I think in real life, she was the kid who could win a staring contest. <laughs> um, I also, research indicates that she was tall. She was a big kid. Um, and there's an element of um, fear or discomfort um, certainly in that era, about a woman who maybe had physical power, physical mm. strength, mm. Um, didn't look demure. My guest is Jessica Handler. She's going to be at the AJC Decatur Book Festival on Sunday talking about her book, The Magnetic Girl. Um, I'm going to try in detail or, or just to sort of summarize her act on stage. She would hold a cane and have men pressing down on it, and suddenly, you know, she would easily flip it upward and men would tumble or she'd sit them on a chair and be able to sort of flip them over. And of course, the newspaper said she was levitating people. Right. She was lifting tables with 25 children on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's this whole kind of tension between fact and fiction. But it's wonderful uh, because she goes on the road, you know, she's discovered, she's on stage in Cedartown, and then she's off to Rome, Georgia, and Atlanta, mm -hmm. and then up the East Coast. It's wonderful, the, the, the life on the road. Um, here are some of the acts that you write about. The Jolly Pathfinders, Professor Buncher and his marionettes, Schwartz and Mendel, the Hebrew comedians. <laughs> did, you, did you just make these all up into any of these actual acts from the time? Some of them were actual acts, and I don't know necessarily that she performed with those acts. I think Professor Boncher was a real act. I went through a lot of um, vaudeville programs, mm. and I just love the names. And I know that there were um, various acts like Schwartz and Mendel. Um, there were certainly people who did monologues of Shakespeare, did monologues from uh, theatrical performances of the era. There were also singers. There were um, certainly animal acts. 
um, it was a, it was just fabulous. I wish I could have seen it. I know it's yeah. just it's amazing. Yeah. But I wonder how audiences would be captivated by a girl wrestling with a cane. <laughs> no, <laughs> but there is this kind of like this growing tension between science and humbuggery, humbuggery as your father yeah. calls it, magic, spiritualists and mediums. There was a big boom after the Civil War. And her father says, folks are ready for the humbug. You know, they believe anything wrapped up in a bow. They won't admit it because they, they, they don't want to feel like they fell for something. And I couldn't help reading this thinking of, uh, you remember when the Russian troll, the bot farm was indicted. Mm -hmm. The people said, like, mm -hmm. it is so easy to convince the American public mm -hmm. of anything. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's, when you're looking at this, is this part of the American character, this wanting to believe in something that's just magic? I think it's part of the human character, certainly the character in any society that is moving so fast that we feel that we don't have control over what we know or what we knew yesterday or two weeks ago or this afternoon. Um, I wasn't thinking about the Russian bot farm when I wrote this. <laughs> and um, other people have asked me, was I thinking about the Me Too movement, things like that. But I'm very interested in why we believe what we believe. And I don't want to discount anybody's particular belief. But I know that in conversation, sometimes people will say things. Um, and let's go to song lyrics, for example, which is, you know, somebody will say, oh, the lyrics to that song are such and such. And you go, no, they're not. Why do you think that? So I'm very interested in why people uh, have such fealty to beliefs until they don't. What what brought them there? Why did they change? Mm. Right. Um, and this could have to do with health. It could have to do with faith. It could have to do with culture. It could have to do with something as simple as um, I can't eat that food because it's bad. Right. 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 Yeah. Not always rational. Not always rational. But she she's out there performing for audiences. She knows she knows it's a bit of a con. But there is a as we said. There's a part of her that doesn't know if it's true or not. And there is this, um, I don't know, it, a crippling self-doubt. You know, mm -hmm. every time she goes out there, there's always this flicker of wonder about whether she's going to be able to actually deliver on what she's supposed to do. And, you know, you're a creative, you're a writer, you teach writing to people. Is that flicker of doubt, is that another human thing? Or is this part of the whole art of performance. Isn't that called imposter syndrome? I think it is. Yeah, imposter syndrome. And sometimes I think everybody has it, particularly, well, I can't speak for everybody, but we were talking about this earlier. It's an element of imposter syndrome. Can I do this this time? And the other element is the idea of learning to perform. And I don't mean perform theatrically, but when you're a teenager, you're learning to perform as the adult you think you're going to be or the adult the world wants you to be, which, which adult am I going to be and how do I do that? And in a case like Lulu Hurst's, both in the novel and I think in real life, there were expectations on her. She, she earned a lot of money once she got going mm -hmm. and um, supported her family. So, of course, she wanted to do that. And, of course, she wanted to be helpful. Um, and that came from performance, which has an element of falsehood. So right away, there's a, an internal conflict with that. Mm. Who am I going to be? And I'm, you know, I'm speaking as Lulu. Who is Lulu going to be when she grows up? And what does that mean to her? And what is, what is she, how did she make that person? And she did grow up. She did, but why do you think she quit? I mean, her, her, her biography, I read a little bit of it mm -hmm. yesterday. It, it's just sort of a puff piece. Do you, do you have any ideas? I don't really know why she quit. I mean, she does talk about the fact that she 
in the autobiography, she talks about the fact or writes about the fact that it was time to quit and the people were perceiving her in a way that wasn't true to her, mm-hmm. which I think the, the that emotional truth is holds up in my novel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but she never comes out in real life and says, I quit for this reason. And, and here's the reason. Um, she does in the autobiography in the second half of it, write about how gullibility um allowed her this fame, which then makes it the audience's responsibility. In the novel, I was very curious because her autobiography doesn't come out and say, I quit for this reason. So I wanted to find out, I wanted to explore why would she have done it? What were the stakes for her emotionally, for her family? So I created some issues. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, it's a novel. It's got to have issues. So you've been living with Lulu Hurst in your head for a long time, the magnetic girl. Is it going to be tough to let go of her? What's this like? Um, I I love her so much. And I just, um, when I was writing this, I had a um, picture from Frank Leslie's Illustrated um, from, I think, 1884 in my office that I bought on eBay um, looking at me. And I've taken it down. And but I haven't gotten rid of it. It's just in a different place in my office. Um, I think she'll always be with me in a good way. Well, she could win that staring contest. She, she's going to get a hold <laughs> on you for yeah. a long, long time. Jessica Handler, what a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Jessica Handler is a professor at Oglethorpe University. She's written two memoirs. Her first novel is The Magnetic Girl. And you can see her talk about it at the AJC Decatur Book Festival on Sunday, September 1st. We're going to keep the old razzle-dazzle going with a preview of upcoming musicals on Georgia stages. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for that and more of On Second Thought.